You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven again, we just ask for the guidance of your Holy Spirit. Lord, your Spirit inspired your word. Your Spirit inspired your prophets. We're trying to understand this better. So we pray the spirit of truth would give us understanding and clarity. For We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now I want to reiterate something that uh, Cameron had said yesterday. Um, one of the challenges I have experienced that a lot of Seventh-day Adventists have in giving Bible studies is they don't really know what we believe. I, I can't say it better than that. And so... You can go through a Bible study. I can teach you how to go through it. All the questions and answers are there. It's not rocket science to do it. I've taught people to do it. The problem is you're thinking in a very linear way because you, if you haven't studied it, you can't think outside the study. And so our purpose this week was to try to get over, cover some things a little bit more from the perspective that you're not going to get in a study. Even if, if I were studying this with you, you wouldn't be necessarily getting the things I'm telling. I'm not going to start a study telling people how my parents left the Adventist church and yada. I may give part of that. But there are certain things like you're in the room and we're talking about stuff that, you know, when I give a Bible study to somebody, and I've mentioned this this week, it's not the intention of a Bible study to exhaust a subject. In other words, I'm not intending to give you every last thing in the Bible about the spirit of prophecy. That's not the intention. And I'm going to tell you that the people you study with aren't expecting that. I will tell you the Seventh-day Adventists like to sit in a room like this, and then they say, but you didn't cover this, and you didn't cover this, and you didn't cover this. And it's like, no, because that's not the intention typically in a study. Um, in a study. Now, in here, I'm trying to cover some more of those things. But I, I'm telling you this to say when you're giving a Bible study, a lot of members won't give a study because they're like, but I don't know everything. Well, here's a newsflash for you. I've been in ministry for 25 years, and I don't know near everything, but I still get Bible studies, and guess what? I learn every time I do. And you know what I tell people when I don't know the answer? This is going to shock you. I don't know the answer. That's what I tell them. But, I can, but I'll find it. I want them to know, look, I study the Bible like you study the Bible. But when I do study the Bible and I know something, there's something to be said about having confidence in what you believe. And our goal primarily this week is that you'll have more confidence. You're not going to remember everything we covered. But if you look up the texts that we're looking up and you see the explanations and you say, hey, that is what it's saying here, you'll realize that it's going to give you more confidence. You're going to be like, this is biblical. And when you know what you believe is biblical, you have a faith that can't be shaken. Now I say that, to, you know, I'm not saying, you know, the Apostle Paul says, uh, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I'm not talking about being arrogant and overconfident, but I am talking about the fact that truth should give you a level of confidence. You don't need to know everything to know the truth, to know what you believe. There are going to be things for us to learn throughout eternity. So um, when I give a study on this, obviously, I shouldn't say obviously. Typically, a study on the gift of prophecy, when I'm giving studies, comes after we did a full study on Revelation 12. So I did that kind of crash course in Revelation 12, but we've gone through that whole study. And when you come down to that end of that study, you come to these identifying characteristics. And you just barely, at the end of the study, are able to share that identifying characteristic, like much more of the explanation I gave with Revelation 12, 17, and 19, 10, and 22, 8, and 9 would have come in my remnant study. So that you would see from the Bible, wow, the last day church has the gift of prophecy. Now understand two things. First of all, the testimony of Jesus or the spirit of prophecy is not Ellen White. It's all the prophets. It's the spiritual gift of prophecy throughout the ages. In the context of this, we're looking at the last days. Now, you know, Ellen White has some of her books entitled The Spirit of Prophecy. Yet Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 1, 2, 3, and 4. And I guess some Adventists have come away with the idea that the Spirit of Prophecy is, oh, Adventists just think that's Ellen White. So just to clarify, and I'll clarify this in the study, 
we're talking about the testimony. You'll see this as we go through this study. In fact, this study to me comes out of my personal study, answers questions and issues that a lot of Seventh-day Adventists don't know about the gift of prophecy. I've gone so far as to say, I'll repeat it here, that I think Seventh-day Adventists would have far fewer questions of their own when it came to Ellen White if they simply understood more about what the Bible says about the gift of prophecy. We have this expression where we say, oh, well, we have the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. Technically, it's not an and. And what I mean by that is, the reason I believe in the gift of prophecy is because I believe the Bible. <laughs> and the Bible says there's going to be a gift of If the Bible didn't say it, I wouldn't believe it. So it almost goes so far as to say, it's not that we believe in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, we believe in the Bible. And the Bible only. And because the Bible teaches that the gift of prophecy, then I believe it. And because the Bible teaches that there will be the gift of prophecy manifested in the last day church, I believe it. Do you follow that reasoning? And so typically... We've done a study on the remnant, and we end with that, okay, the gift of prophecy, the, the testimony of Jesus refers to the gift of prophecy. What does that look like? And, and they haven't gotten that yet. So the next study, I've got two studies that I go over on the gift of prophecy. This one is just talking about the gift in general. Then the next one is zeroing in a little bit on the tests of a prophet and Ellen White. And I'll comment on that more when we get to it. So if you turn back your attention to this, this study... We start out with what would be reviewed to a person that I've studied with prior. What gift is an identifying characteristic of God's last day church? Oh yeah, we looked at that last time. In our last study. That's the, that's the testimony of Jesus. That's the gift of prophecy. And it says that in the italics. So now we're going to delve into what is that? Question number two. According to the Bible, what exactly is a prophet? Now before we look up texts, the word prophet is not exclusive to Seventh-day Adventists. It's not even exclusive to Christianity. You understand that? So if I were to ask a common person on the street what a prophet is, what would most people say? Have you ever encountered a non-Christian who believes in a prophet? You ever hear of Nostradamus? Which, time doesn't permit me to talk about Nostradamus. It's clearly a false prophet, but not a Christian prophet at all, right? So in other words, this isn't exclusive to Christianity. What do people think a prophet is? Someone who tells the future. What does the Bible, and we tend to say, oh, that's what a prophet, let's look what the Bible says a prophet is. Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. And I love this, these two passages. You know, the Bible has a, a phenomenal way of explaining itself. And this is one of those instances. Uh, we will pick up in 14, verse 14. I'm tempted, this whole passage, I just love, this is such a good passage. It's a good witnessing passage because God calls Moses to go and, 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 uh, talk to Pharaoh, and Moses says, Lord, I can't do that. I'm not really good at things like that. And I, and I always laugh at it because that's what we always do. Like when It's like, go witness for Jesus. And you're like, I, I don't know, I might say the wrong thing. And, and we think it's just us. And then you say, Moses did the same thing. But anyway, that's, I'm already getting into that. I need to go to verse 14. Verse 14 says, so this is where the Lord has asked Moses to go speak to Pharaoh, and Moses hedges on it because he's afraid. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and do what? Put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you what you shall do, so he shall be your spokesman to the people and he himself shall be as a mouth for you and you shall be to him as God. Fascinating little passage. You're going to be like God to him and you're going to tell him things and then he's going to repeat those things for you to Pharaoh and he's going to be a mouthpiece for you. Do you follow that? Now, go over to chapter 7. Who was it that God was saying was going to be a mouthpiece for Moses, his brother Aaron? Okay, Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, the Bible says, So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. What did he say Aaron was going to be in chapter 4? What is a prophet in the Bible, according to the Bible? A spokesperson. A prophet is a mouthpiece for God. Do all prophets tell the future? Do all prophets work miracles? 
No, who, was, who did Jesus call the greatest of the prophets? And yet the Bible says he worked no miracle, right? And so we need to make sure that our understanding of prophet is not the secular understanding or even the Christian understanding per se, but the Bible understanding. A prophet is a spokesperson for God. Uh, incidentally, and I have it in the notes here, the, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for prophet is nabi. Do you know what it means? The word translated prophet is nabi. It means, I'll give you one guess, spokesperson. Okay? You come to the New Testament, the word for prophet is prophetes. You know what it means? Spokesperson. <laughs> so, very clear from Scripture that this is what a prophet is. Now, question number three. What did God promise to put in the prophet Jeremiah's mouth? Jeremiah 1 and verse 9. And this is just kind of a clarification. Like, you know, when you, you remember algebra class and you're working out the project, the, 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 the certain um, problem and the teacher, once you come up with your answer, you remember what the teacher would always tell you? You're like, well, how do I know if I got the right, if I solved for X? I don't know if your teacher said the same thing my did, but I'm guessing somebody's did. Double check it by doing what? I got X equals 5. How do I know if X is 5? Ah, plug it back in, right? you got to put it back in and see if it works out. So, is a prophet a spokesperson? Do we find that supported elsewhere? Jeremiah 1. And I was talking and not turning. I think I want to start in verse 4, actually. Jeremiah 1 and verse 4. The Bible says... Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a what? Prophet to the nations. Uh, then said I, Ah, Lord, behold, I can't speak. That's what Moses said, incidentally, back where we didn't read. And then verse 9 says, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put what? My words in. Now, what did he call him in verse Five, I ordained you to be a prophet, Hebrew nabi, spokesperson. And then what does he do? He put his words in the prophet's mouth to be his spokesperson. That's just verifying what we've looked at already. So just so that we understand, a prophet is a spokesperson for God. God uses the prophet to communicate messages to his people. Sometimes he works miracles, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes the prophet tells the future, sometimes he doesn't. But he always gives a message from God, he or she. Number four, how long has God used prophets to communicate his will? Let's go to Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 1 and verse 70. Luke chapter 1, verse 70. Let's start in verse 67 to get the run in for this. Luke um, 1, verse 67. Now his father Zacharias was filled, speaking of John the Baptist, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed, be the, blessed is the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. Now, the, the text, I'm not going to look it up in Acts chapter 3, is similar. The point that I'm just step by step establishing is, number one, prophet is a spokesperson for God. Number two, God has used prophets from since time began. This isn't a new thing, and I think even more importantly, sometimes I say prophets are God's MO, modus operandi, method of operation. That's God's chosen to speak to people different ways. Some there's there's theophany, which is face-to-face, -face, direct communication. He's spoken through the Urim and the Thummim. He's spoken in different ways to his people. Audible voice, but the way he's spoken more than any other to his people has been through prophets since time began. So this isn't just an end-time, last-day thing. God has always chosen to communicate to his people through prophets. Um, another reason that's important is because sometimes we wish we could dictate to God how he would speak to us. Okay? Um, God doesn't only speak by prophets. Sometimes God speaks by pastors. Sometimes he speaks by parents. <laughs> right? Sometimes he speaks by husbands or wives. <laughs> And sometimes we wish he'd speak to us some other way, right? We wish we could dictate and say, no, Lord, you talk to me like this. No, 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 no. God will choose how he speaks. And throughout the ages, he has chosen to speak through prophets. Number five, how do we benefit from the messages of the prophets? 
Let's look at Romans chapter 1. We're in Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse uh, 1 and 2. The Bible says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through what? His prophets where? How do I benefit? How do you benefit from the communications of God's prophets? How do I know about them? The Holy Scriptures, right? So this is something that is, a lot of people don't think of it, but the reality, you know, we say, oh, Jeremiah was a prophet, Daniel was a prophet. Did you know Solomon's a prophet? Do you know David was a prophet? Do you know Luke was a prophet? Every writer of Scripture had the prophetic gift. That's, that's what inspiration is. We talk about inspiration. Inspiration is how the Holy Spirit enables the human to communicate his will. And the prophets wrote the scriptures. And the, 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 the idea here is, well, both of those. First of all, that that was the role of prophets, that the, the Bible came to us through the gift of prophecy, and that that's how we benefit from prophets in old times, is through the scriptures. You see the same thing in 2 Peter 1. If you go there with me, 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse 20 and 21, 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21, the Bible says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy. This is not just speaking of end-time prophecy, but the teachings of the prophets never came by the will of man, but holy men of God, what? Spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And they communicated those messages. If you look at the note there underneath, it says, although the prophets spoke their messages in their day, many of those messages were written out and collected into what have become the Holy Scriptures. The Bible is the collective teaching of the prophets and thus the product of the gift of prophecy. How many of you have heard, read the statement, or at least heard the statement Ellen White made about her own writings where she says that she was the lesser light pointing to the greater light. Anybody heard that before? Some people have taken that as what I say isn't as true. She's the lesser light and the Bible was the greater light. That what she said was not as important or as authoritative as the rest of the Bible. Some people have said that's what she was saying. Um, But the language she uses is scripture language. You should recall that. The Bible, where does the Bible talk about the lesser light and the greater light? In Genesis. And what is it calling the lesser light? The moon. And what is it calling the greater light? The sun. How much light does the moon have? But it reflects the light of the sun. So it's interesting when you see that, that in fact, we're going to get into that a little bit more, that Ellen White would use that imagery to describe her gift. She's simply saying she was never an originator of truth. She was reflecting what the Bible said. You're going to find that that's what all the prophets did, was reflected. Of course, collectively, then you have the scripture, and it forms the basis of of belief. But you'll see, we'll get there in a minute. Um, Let's go to number six. Who does Peter say spoke through the Old Testament prophets? You're going to love this. 1 Peter chapter 1 1 Peter chapter 1. Now this is a real wordy passage, so you're going to have to bear with Peter here, as we. but you'll, you'll get it. Maybe not right at first. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Now Peter is speaking about the salvation. He's preaching the gospel, and he's preaching about the salvation that was promised to come through Jesus. You know, the prophets all spoke of the coming Messiah. So Peter's writing of this, and he says, Of this salvation... The prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. So the very prophets who did the prophesying, who gave the message, themselves searched what the message meant. Okay? Number 11, searching what, or verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So the prophets themselves, who even told of the coming of Christ, were themselves searching what it meant. 
They didn't totally understand. Now, sometimes we have this mindset, this is a false understanding of prophets, that if you're a prophet, you know everything. And we forget that there are many instances of Bible prophets who did not understand what they were writing. Daniel gives a whole prophecy. Daniel chapter 8, the man Gabriel is told to give Daniel the interpretation to the vision and explain it. And yet still at the very end of Daniel chapter 8, Daniel says, I was astonished by the vision and nobody understood it. Wait a minute, nobody understood it, but you're a prophet. Prophets know everything, don't they? No. (laughs) If I give you a message and I say, hey, sister, I want you to go and tell so-and-so on the campus, go back to the information trailer if you would and just tell him Pastor Howard said such and such. And she may not have any idea of the context of what, okay, well, I'll go tell him, but does that mean she understands everything? Like, just go tell him it's finished. If you just go back and tell him, like, I'm working on a project. They know and I know. Does she know? Well, she was the messenger. And in the same way, God gave prophets messages that they didn't fully comprehend. This is what Peter's telling us about the prophets. The prophets who even prophesied about the Messiah didn't necessarily have it figured out. They were searching, which is really not the point that we're getting into here. I'm just, I always feel I have to explain this passage to get around to, but it says in verse 12, to them it was revealed, the prophets who told about Christ, that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So the prophets themselves were told, hey, the message that you gave, it wasn't for you, it's for later. Okay. Now, all that aside, that wasn't our point, but that's some, people, people get lost in the passage. Like, What's it saying? What's it saying? So that's what it's saying. But let's zero in now on verse 11. In the context, it's talking about the prophets, and it says, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, was, who was where? In them. Who's the them? The prophets. Who was in the prophets? The Spirit of Christ. Who was in them was indicating when he, the Spirit of Christ, did what? Testified. So the Spirit of Christ, according to Peter, was in the prophets testifying. You follow that? What could you say a person's giving when they're testifying? A testimony. Who was in the prophets giving his testimony? Christ. So could you call the gift of prophecy the testimony of Jesus? Funny how that works, isn't it? So that's the same thing we read there in Revelation. So the question there in number six is, who does Peter say spoke through the Old Testament prophets? Jesus Christ. The Spirit of Christ was in the Old... And this is important because there are a lot of people... First of all, there are a number of Christians who really don't realize how present Christ was in the Old Testament. There are some Christians who think Old Testament teachings are contrary to New Testament teachings. But when you come here and you're like, what the New Testament says that it was Christ who was teaching through the prophets in the Old Testament, who wrote the Old Testament. Well, how could it be contrary if the same Jesus here was speaking here? It can't be. So if it seems contrary, it's not there, it's here. You understand what I'm saying? The Spirit of Christ. And finally, that goes for every prophet that existed. And for Seventh-day Adventists, when you come down and, and we do tests and we say, wow, Ellen White, I believe she had the gift of prophecy, but I don't know, this thing she wrote over here doesn't sound very Christ-centered to me. Well, it's awful hard for Christ to be speaking through somebody and not be Christ-centered, isn't it? I think sometimes we're very subjective in our evaluations. It's just like love. There are certain things we call loving and certain things we don't. And I'll tell you that it's easy to say something isn't loving when it offends me. <laughs> Have you ever offended your children with love? as parents. They don't feel like it's love. Like, why are you doing this to me? Why are you on me like that? And you're like, because I love you. You don't get it now. And I remember being your age. I told the graduating class here, I mean, because kids do this all the time. It's like, listen, whatever you say, how many of you have teenagers? Anybody have teenagers or have had teenagers? They're unique. I didn't say children. I said teenagers because teenagers are unique. Because teenagers want to challenge everything they've ever been taught. There's that cute little age where they're just impressionable, right? And they're like, they're not that you still, they still don't get resistant. But then when they're a teenager, they know more than you. And I know this for a fact because I was a teenager. And I remember knowing more than my parents. And the older I get, the less I know. But I knew a whole lot when I was 18. And 16 and 17, you know, and that. 
And so um, I've told the kids and I've told my daughter, you know, here's the, here's the, the bottom line of it is this. You can talk all day long about how I don't get you and I don't know what it's like. But I have been where you are and you've never been where I am. That's just the fact. I'm, I'm going to turn 55 this year. I've been where, and I told the graduating class, I'm like, how many of you are 18? You know? And I said, I've lived three of your lifetimes. You learn something in three of your lifetimes. I'm not saying I'm super smart, but there's something to be said about experience. <laughs> right? My mother's looking at me. She's like, I've been trying to tell you that for years. Moms are still moms. They're always moms. But Jesus himself spoke through the prophets. And there are sometimes the prophets speak, and we say, well, it doesn't sound much like Jesus. It's because it's irritating us, because we want our way and we don't get our way. And I think if, if you're a Christian and you want to get anywhere in the Christian life, the first thing you have to come to terms with, the first thing I have to come to terms with is there's a part of my nature that is not spiritual and does not like spiritual things and does not like to be told what to do. And if I can realize that and I can reckon with that, it makes it easier for God to get my attention. You're going to see that in a minute. Actually, I have a great passage coming up on that. So, what does Peter, who does Peter say spoke through the Old Testament prophets? It was Jesus who spoke through the Old Testament prophets. And incidentally, I have referenced in there, sometimes the, the, the gift of prophecy is called the testimony of Jesus, and sometimes it's just plain called the testimony, like in Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony, which I believe we're coming to. We are. Number eight. Oh, number seven. Were there also prophets in the New Testament church? Acts 11, verse 27. I want somebody to look up Acts 11, 27. Who wants to do that for me? Okay, somebody, hand, thank you. And then who wants to read Acts 15, 32? Somebody read that for me. Can I see a hand? Okay, great. And then finally, somebody read Acts 21, 8, and 9. Who wants to read that? One more person. Thank you, Jack. Oh, I got a hand over here. Mary Lynn, you can read that. Okay, Acts 11, 27. 1532, 21, 8, and 9, they're written out there. And the question is, were there prophets in the New Testament church? Acts 11. Somebody read that. Who had that one? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, there became what? Lo and behold, there were prophets there in the New Testament. What about Acts 15:32? Okay, Judas and Silas were prophets. There's some more prophets. Acts 21, 8, and 9, what's it say there? Okay, so there's four virgin daughters who prophesied. Those are a few. Let's go about, let's talk about some more, okay? There's some real obvious ones in the New Testament that we didn't touch on. Give me some obvious. Okay, John the Baptist. Okay, Anna, the prophetess. You're not obvious enough yet. Like, let's say you're running into somebody, and, and those are good texts. They're like, I don't know, were there prophets in New Testament times? Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, John the Revelator. Like, there's this whole book of Revelation written by a prophet. So, the, the, the New Testament is full of evidence. So, that it wasn't like Old Testament, there were prophets, but New Testament, there were... No, throughout... Well, that's coming up, I think. Prophets who wrote books and didn't write books. Uh, number eight, question. How long was the gift of prophecy to continue with the church? Ephesians chapter 4. So, we see prophets in the Old Testament church. We see prophets in the New Testament church. Were prophets going to continue? There are Christians who say no. The prophets were going to all cease by the end of the first century A.D. That's a position that there are a number of people who believe that. Yet, what does the Bible say? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, speaking about Jesus at his ascension, it says, And he himself, Christ is the he himself, he himself gave some to be apostles, some what? Prophets, some evangelists. And some pastors and teachers. Do we, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When do you think we get to that point of this measure of the stature of the, if you had to guess, when, when, when are we going to get there? Do we need to be, yeah, by the time Jesus comes? So if the prophets are in the church until then, how long are they in the church? Till Jesus comes. But let's go to verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. What's the work of ministry? What's another way of saying that? Giving the gospel to the world. When's that going to be done? 
Think about this with me. How many of you work with tools? I, I mean, your tool could be a glue gun. It could be whatever. It, it could be crafty thing or whatever. But if you ever work with something on a project, it's important to have the right tools, right? What if somebody gave you a project to do and gave you some tools and then came and took the tools away? How would you feel about that before you're done? Would that make any sense? What would you think of a person who took the tools away? What if you had a supervisor who took the tools away? What would you think about that supervisor? How in the world did this person get to be a supervisor? That's real stupid to do for anybody to do, right? Like there's a job that needs to be done and it's not done yet and I need the tools to finish the job, right? The Bible just got done telling us that these spiritual gifts, including the gift of prophecy, were given to do a job, giving the gospel to the world. Yet there are Christians today who say, yeah, but God took prophets away. What? The job's not done yet. Why in the world would God take one of those away before the job's done? Answer, he wouldn't. (laughs) He didn't. He hasn't. Those gifts are still in the church till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Yes. No, apostles, the thing, you know, but we don't use the word apostle today unless you're in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or some churches use that, but apostles are like administrators and conference presidents and leaders. These are the people who organize the work. We just don't call them apostles anymore. So all of those functions have to be in the church for the church to continue to move forward. And if you go to 1 Corinthians 12 and it talks about the body being many parts and all those parts working together like a machine, all the parts are important. Everybody is important in the church. There's no unimportant person in the church because everybody fills a role. No, I mean, but what is the Paul? That, that it applies to apostles just like it applies to a pro, like all of those are listed there. There's no and, and so to you can you could take it you could t- interpret it a different direction, but you're going to be interpreting it in a different direction than Scripture. Scripture is playing there, and that's our point: is these gifts, according to Scripture, are going to continue. In fact, as the, as the note there says, the gift of prophecy along with the other spiritual gifts was given to aid the church in proclaiming the gospel to the world and to help its members grow into spiritual maturity. Until these two things are accomplished, the gifts will be active in the church. Number nine, did all the prophets write books of the Bible? Let's go to Second uh, Chronicles 9, verse 29. 2 Chronicles 9, verse 29. Bible says, Now the rest of the acts of Solomon, first and last, are they not written in the book of Nathan the prophet? The book of Nathan the prophet? In the prophecy of Ahijah the Shilonite, and in the visions of Edo the seer concerning Jeroboam the son of Nebat. There are three prophets mentioned there and three books that we do not have record of. I personally would love to read the book of Nathan the prophet. This is the man who went to David and said, David, thou art the man. But all we have is the verbal record of what happened. Now listen, I'm not worried about that. There are people like, oh, there's lost books in the Bible. And they're out there. The Lord, those things really, they baffle me because it's almost as if it got out of God's hands. It's like the Lord's up in heaven saying, I know, I wish I could have kept track of that one. I don't know, I lost it somewhere. <laughs> I don't know about all that. All I know is, all I know about, all I know is that God, that God, that God made sure that we have in the Bible what we need. And there are, but the point, the point that we're looking at here, making here is that there were prophets who prophesied, but their, they, their writings aren't in the Bible. Let's look at, um, 2 Chronicles 21 12. 21 12. The Bible says, and a letter came to him from who? Elijah. Where are the writings of Elijah? At least there's a letter of Elijah. We don't have a copy of it. But it's okay. God didn't see fit. We had a copy of it. And that's our point isn't that, oh, they're lost, and now we can't know, and what are we going to do? The point is that if we come to the last days, one of the big challenges a person, one challenge I had is how can God have a person who's a prophet named Ellen White who isn't in the Bible, when all the other prophets were in the Bible. Because I'm looking for a biblical precedent, right? But then I come to find out that all the other prophets weren't in the Bible. That there's a biblical precedent 
for prophets who had writings, but God, for whatever reason, didn't include them in the Bible. And so we have... <laughs> Perhaps. So did all the prophets write books of the Bible? No. And, and, and you'll notice there, well, I've got that written out. You can look at the, the statement there. Number 10, what was the primary focus of the gift of prophecy? Now, I'm not going to look this up. I'm going to recite it for sake of time, looking at our clock. Uh, you should know Isaiah 8, 20 of all the verses, which says, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. It's very important. This, to me, this is one of the best Verses to explain the gift of prophecy. To the law and to the testimony. Now, this is in the book of Isaiah, and the word translated law is the Hebrew word Torah. Has anybody heard of the Torah before? What is the Torah? The first five books of the Bible, or the, the Pentateuch, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Does anybody know what the word Torah means? This is a Sabbath school test because it just came up in one of our Sabbath school quarters, either this one or the one before. What is it? Okay, close. Teaching instruction. Now, here's what I want you to understand. In the Old Testament, you find this, well, old and new, you'll find this term, the law and the prophets. But that word law in the Old Testament, Torah, is the instruction. The understanding of the Jews was that those five books formed the God's instruction to his people. Like he gave them his Ten Commandment laws in there, the ceremony, the civil laws. That was his instruction to his people. The prophets were complementary to the law, to the instruction. So that when God's people said they were following the instruction but weren't following the instruction, God would send the prophets and the prophet would point them back to the instruction. Okay, this is where that lesser light, greater light imagery comes in. Ellen White said, I'm not, I'm just reflecting light, right? That original instruction was those five books. Now we've got the scripture itself in Ellen White, the later prophet that wasn't part of the canon. So for example, there was a day when Jeremiah wasn't in the Bible. You know that. Like when Jeremiah was writing stuff, he wasn't in the Bible. And then when Paul was writing his letters, Paul wasn't in the Bible. In Paul's day, the Bible was what? The Old Testament. And Paul's never trashed in the Old Testament. He taught from it, but he wasn't part of it. He was an outside-the-Bible, modern-day prophet. And Paul wouldn't have put himself in the place of the Bible. He pointed people to the Bible. The role of a modern prophet was always going and pointing to the instruction. And so that concept, the law and the testimony, the law and the prophets, the prophets weren't originators of truth. The prophets pointed God's people back to the Word. Because despite how many times God's people said they were following the word, oftentimes they weren't. And of course, you can see where the rub starts to come in with prophets, which we're going to see in a minute. So the primary function of the gift of prophecy was to point back to the word of God. Number 11, why do we need prophets if we already have the Bible? People ask this all the time, especially when it comes to Ellen White. Look, we have the Bible. Why do we need prophets? Let's look at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25. And Psalm 32, verse 8. Somebody read, uh, who wants to read up 16, verse 5? Proverbs 16, verse, what did I say? 5, 25. Proverbs 16, 25. Okay, and then who wants to read um, Psalm 32, verse 8? Sister, you had your hand up a minute last time and I didn't get you. You want to read Psalm 32, verse 8? Okay, we'll go to Psalm 16, 5 first. I'll give you a minute to get there. But let's go to Proverbs 16, 25 and let's, let's go ahead and read that one. Okay, and we read that the other day in Proverbs 14. It's repeated in Proverbs. There's a way that seems right, but the end is the way of death. What's that saying? It's saying there are times when we are convinced that what we're doing is right when we're dead wrong. And what is God going to do in a situation like that? God sends somebody to tell us and help us to see what we don't see. Psalm 32, 8, what does that say? Okay, now hold your finger there. I will instruct you and teach you. I will guide you with what? My eye. Okay, I don't have it here, but I want you to, I want you to hold your finger there. I want to come back to that. Somebody read 1 Samuel 9 and verse 9. Who, who has that? Who wants to read it? Yes, brother. Okay, so the, he who's now called a prophet used to be called a seer. Why do you think that is? 
Okay, why do you think he called him a seer? Not blind. I, I can see things, you can see things. Why would the prophet be called a seer? What's unique about it? Let's go back to Psalm 32.8. I will instruct you in the way that you shall go. I will guide you with my eye. What's he saying? Do I see with my eyes what God sees with his eyes? No, God sees things I don't see. Did the prophet see things people didn't see? You remember when David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then to cover it up he had her husband Uriah murdered. How many know that story? And then after Uriah died, David brought Bathsheba into the palace to be his wife. And then Nathan the prophet came. Do you know how long it was before Nathan the prophet showed up in the palace? Yeah, it was over nine months. It was a year. It was a full year. Think about it for a minute. David murdered a man, committed adultery, brings the woman into his house, and feels like he did nothing wrong for an entire year. Until Nathan the prophet comes in. Were there things about David that he didn't see? Until the prophet of God spoke to him. See, the prophet sees things God's way. You have to understand that in those days, kings did whatever, the kings of the nations could have whatever they wanted. They were kings. And that impaired David's judgment to where, hey, I'm a king. And he salved his conscience until the prophet of God showed up. But a prophet is called a seer because a prophet sees how God sees. God says, I'm going to guide you with my eye. Now, what's the next verse say? I said, hold your finger there. Isaiah, um, not Isaiah, Psalm 32, verse 9. What a terrible, what a terrible text, really, when you think about it. So God says, I'm going to guide you with my eye. But then he has to say, don't be like the mule. What was he saying? Look, I'm going to guide you. I'm going to give you direction. But he already knows that we're going to be like, I don't want to go. I'm not going to follow you. And we're going to be stubborn. He's like, don't do that. Don't make me put a bridle in your mouth like you're an animal that can't think. You can think. You can hear my reasoning. I'm pleading with you. I'm trying to give you the right direction. Why do we need prophets if we already have the Bible? If you look at the note there under number 11, it says, because our natural hearts lead us astray. God's people, while they claimed to follow the Bible, were often found living in contradiction to its teachings, so he sent them prophets for a course correction. Incidentally, this same question could have been asked in Isaiah's day or Jeremiah's day or Paul's day, but God has continued sending his messengers to safely guide his people into the truth. People ask it about Ellen White, but you could have asked it. Like, why do I need to listen to Paul? I've got the Old Testament. Why do I need Jesus? And that's what they said, in fact, in Jesus' day. The religious leaders like, we have Moses, we don't need you. Why would you not want to hear from a prophet of God? That's, we, we like to have things our own way. Number 12, how did Jesus describe Jerusalem in his final public address? Matthew 23, 37. What was Jerusalem to Jesus? In relation to Jesus, it was the holy city. It was full of who? His people. It was like the church, right? The temple's there. His people are there. And how does he address it? Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, what? You who kill the prophets. Like of all the things you could say about God's people, would say you're the ones. I mean, he singles them out. He doesn't say everybody kills the prophets, including you. You're the ones who kill the prophets. What's the significance of that? What's it communicating? What lesson should we learn from that? that primarily it's believers who have problems with prophets. Non-believers don't because non-believers don't care. Like you say, the Bible says, and a non-believer says, I don't care what the Bible says, I don't live by the Bible. But for a Christian, we claim to live by the Bible. And so prophets get under our skin when they come and say we're not living by the Bible, and we know we're not living by the Bible. Like, You're not supposed to call it out. So Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets. Number 13, should we ever expect a true prophet to be popular even among professed Christians? Look at Luke 13, 33. Luke 13, 33. It sounds silly. I know it sounds silly, but honestly, how many times do we... You know, if, if, if there's one argument that has stayed around, one parental argument, it's this one. Well, if all your friends went and jumped off a cliff, would you do it too? That seems to be like this enduring, and yet all the time we tend to do that. We seem to all the time, we're like, yeah, but everybody in this church says it's okay. But, but, but I don't, you're the only one that, and everybody else says this is okay. Like, we do that all the time. A lot of people will say, well, I don't believe in Ellen White. You know, a lot of people have questions about Ellen White. They don't agree, so why should I agree? 
right? And they're all jumping off the cliff, or they're not getting on the ark, or they're not getting... Everybody else is doing it. Why not do it? It's not a good reason. Should we expect a true prophet to be popular? Luke 13, 33, what did Jesus say there? He says, nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish. What? What's he saying? Poor prophet's never going to make it alive out of Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem is the one who kills the prophets. Simple point. No, the prophets of God were categorically, you look at the history, categorically rejected by the people of God. The prophets rebuked the sins of the people, and instead of humbling their hearts before God, his people resented them for it. Now, we don't have to do the same. God forbid we do the same, but the lesson's on record for us so that we don't make the mistake that our fathers have made. Why were the false prophets so popular? Look at Luke 6, 26. Luke 6, 26. Jesus says in Luke 6, 26, Woe to you when all men do what? Speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. They speak well to each other. False prophets don't like to stir people up. Jeremiah 5.31 says, the prophets prophesy falsely, speaking of obviously the false prophets, and the priests bear rule by their own power, and my people, what? Love to have it so. Sometimes we would rather have people tell us something false instead of something true. And that's what the Bible is saying here. Why were the false prophets so popular? Because they told people what they wanted to hear instead of what they needed to hear. What happens when God's people disregard the gift of prophecy? Second Chronicles 36. This is one of the saddest chapters in the Bible. Second Chronicles 36. We're going to look at two more and then we're going to have a break here. This is the very end of Second Chronicles. Now in Second Chronicles you have the history of the kings and all the predicted basically the predicted captivity of, of Babylon. And when you come down to the very end, you're in the last king of Judah, Zedekiah, and running into the Babylonian captivity. The Lord has warned his people over and over by the prophets. We will pick up in verse, I want to start in verse 11. Second Chronicles 36, verse 11, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. He reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him swear an oath by God, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, all the leader. Notice, moreover, all the leaders of the priests and the people transgressed more and more according to all the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. Now let's zero in on these next couple verses. And the Lord God of their fathers sent what? Warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them because he hated his people. <laughs> it may have seemed like it because he had compassion on his people, on his dwelling place, but they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Remedy. The Lord sent the messengers. A couple things I want you to note. Rising up early and sending them. Why would it say that? The Lord sent messengers. Like, doesn't that spell it out? The Lord sent messengers. We could just move on. But he stops and he reiterates it. The Lord sent messengers, comma, rising up early and sending them. Did God set his alarm early? Did God wake up early? Doesn't make sense. We don't think of God sleeping, right? So, in a, so if, if that's not the case, he must be speaking in language we understand. Oh, Rising up early. What kind of things do I get up early for? And I'm not talking about I get up early every day to go to work. I'm talking about earlier than early. Okay, when you get up earlier than normal, it's because there's a priority. And God knows that about us. And so God uses language to communicate that we're going to understand. And he says, when it came to sending messengers to my people to save them because I had compassion... 
it was my priority. Yes, I have an entire universe to run, but it was a priority to me to save my people. So I rose up early, and I sent messenger after messenger after messenger, but what did the people do? They despised and rejected those messengers until when? Until there was no remedy. What does that mean? Okay, but why is the punishment sent? Why is there no remedy? Because there's nothing else. You, you ever get in a situation with a person where you try to appeal and you try to whatever, and then you, there's, what else can I say? Like, I've said everything there is to say. There's nothing else to say. One of the clearest examples of this, yes, sir? Absolutely. Absolutely, and that's, that should be our takeaway. Like, this isn't just ancient Israel. These are lessons. All things that were written in the Scriptures are written that we might, through the Scriptures, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, have hope, it says in Romans 15. Like, these things are there on record for us. And, and, and a powerful example of what is said here in Second Chronicles is in the story of the, the, the trial of Christ, where Christ is brought before King Herod. And the Bible says that Herod was, was eager to see Jesus. He had looked forward to seeing Jesus, maybe see a miracle, whatever else. And the Bible says that he began to press Jesus with questions. And the Bible says Jesus did not answer him one word. Anybody remember this story? And you have to think to yourself, wouldn't Jesus do anything to save somebody, even Herod? Like, if there's an opportunity, wouldn't Jesus have tried to save him? Why in the world would Jesus haven't, why would he not say a word? Where and how? Herod had John the Baptist beheaded. And God had said everything he could possibly say to turn that man through his prophet. And when Herod rejected the prophet of God, there was no remedy. And this is exactly what God said. We like to think there's a remedy. Well, I don't like the way Ellen White said that thing. I don't want her to tell me. I want God to tell me. You don't dictate to God how to tell you. I don't dictate to God how to tell me. He sends his prophets. And when we reject his prophets, whoever the prophet is, we're rejecting him. And there comes a point where we have so rejected that there's nothing he can do to get our attention anymore. So this is what the Bible's telling us, and it's warning us off that ground. What happens when God's people disregard the gift of prophecy? When God's people disregard the words of his prophets, they have exhausted the last avenue through which he can reach them and warn them of their danger. There is no remedy left. Number 16, final one. What is God's secret to success in the Christian life? Love this verse. 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 20. 2 Chronicles 20. And verse 20, the Bible says to us, So they rose early in the morning and went out in the wilderness, into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And historically, the biblical record is that all who believed God's prophets, who heeded God's prophets, who followed God's prophets, prospered in their spiritual lives. And the same is true today. If we want to prosper in our spiritual lives, then we need to heed the voice of God's prophets, the voice of Jesus speaking to us through his prophets to get us ready for him to come again. What do you say? Amen. Um, let's go ahead and take a break here, and we'll come back at 10 after. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.